Hello and welcome to Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. All right. So uh, this episode, we actually have uh, Phoebe Wagner with us. Um, she was recently my editor for the anthology Fighting for the Future. So we are going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of Phoebe's work and uh, what she has going on. And I'm actually really uh, stoked to have her here with us today. So um, what we'll do is uh, I'll just uh, allow Phoebe to introduce herself and, you know, give us a little bit about her work and uh, what she's doing in the science fiction and fantasy field. So Phoebe, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so this is a really fun experience. Um, so yeah, I'm Phoebe Wagner. Um, I'm primarily known in science fiction and fantasy. Um, I think as an editor first, I co-edited Sunvault Stories of Solar Punk and Eco Speculation in 2017, which I actually just found out crossed over 5,000 copies sold. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and that was sort of a uh, first for the solar punk subgenre, which is where I primarily do a lot of my work. And uh, it was sort of a general collection of poetry, fiction, and art for solar punk in English. And that just hadn't quite happened yet at 2017. It was sort of Sunval was the first collection like that. My second edited collection was actually nonfiction, and it was a peer-reviewed academic collection, so something very different. Um, but it has gone on to sort of help Solar Punk find its niche among academics as well as just the nonfiction world in general. And then finally, my third anthology, which Brent was in, is Fighting for the Future, which is continuing or maybe more starting the conversation between cyberpunk and solar punk. I've always just felt like there was a lot to say. Um, but I'm also a fiction writer. I always thought of myself as a fiction writer first. Um, and I teach creative writing at a small liberal arts college. So as you can tell, Phoebe's awesome. Uh, and fun <laughs> fact before we dive into the anthology, um, it's because of Just Keep Writing that I actually ended up in an anthology in the first place. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was so excited about the anthology or about Brent being on it and listening to the podcast. I was like, oh, I just want to see, I want to see if Brent's available to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, there we go. So, that's how that came to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can't I, I, I feel like I told y'all, but maybe I didn't. Yeah. So, that's, uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in an anthology because of. You did. You didn't happen to tell us that that person is going to be interviewed with us as well. Yeah. Oh, well, so. I think that came after the fact. So. <laughs> well, that, that means right, so. a lot. I appreciate that. That is awesome. That's yeah. Really- yeah. Right. Right. Like opportunities like for collaboration coming out of the podcast is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, so uh, on that note, I guess since we're talking about the anthology, um, maybe you want to tell us a bit about like fighting for the future and like how the idea for it like kind of first came into being. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of unique in that um, when uh, is that really Android Press approached me about two projects, one which became my novella that came out in uh, earlier this year when we hold each other up. But um, Justine uh, was also really interested in doing an anthology since that's primarily what I'm known for in solar punk. And uh, they actually suggested this idea of a cyberpunk solar punk anthology. And I just like leapt on it immediately. Um, back when I did Sunvault, my co-editor and I felt that solar punk potentially had the legs to kind of maybe be like the next big sort of punk subgenre. Um, and we just kind of gambled on that when we did that anthology. And since then, it's definitely one of the more popular ones at this point, I feel like. But I feel like cyberpunk and solarpunk never got to have that full conversation as much as I feel like solarpunk is this sort of grandchild of cyberpunk. So as soon as Justine suggested it, I was really stoked to uh, dive right into it and start thinking about who I wanted on the cyberpunk side of things, especially because I think we're at this renaissance of cyberpunk where things are changing and there's a chance to reform the subgenre. And so I was really excited to, to play like a tiny part in that and get some exciting people involved. Yeah, no, that was I, I, when you said like cyberpunk, when you approached me with it, I was like, yes, yes. I had never written cyberpunk, so I wasn't sure if I could, you know, pull it off. But yeah, I was super excited for for the reasons you were talking about, like how there there is that conversation that's happening, especially with um us dealing with climate change and everything that's mm-hmm. like sort of in the background of all this stuff now. So yeah, uh, so yeah, like I was super stoked when you first told me about it. Um, so. I've been on the editing side before too. And I, I think um, I always feel like I come out of it with like lessons like that I, I kind of carry with me and like really, really good experiences too. So um, 
when you were doing this anthology, like what were some of your uh, biggest lessons? And then we can talk about your best experiences too when editing it. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like every time I do an anthology, I think, oh, I'm going to be like more detail oriented. I'm going to be more organized. And then every time I never feel like I'm detail oriented or organized enough each time I do this. So I think for me, like that was my third time coming out of this. I'm like, man, I still have not achieved the level of organization that I want. (laughs) Um, But I think one of the joys, though, and this has been my experience for every sort of collection I've worked on at this point is like seeing what people submit, like just kind of what shows up in the submission box is so amazing and so cool. And it's, I I love having the vision of an anthology. Like that's, I think where my strongest skills lay is sort of the vision, getting that out there, getting people involved. And so to see that come to fruition through what just shows up in the inbox um, is really cool. One of my favorite things is one author um, who, I'm going to have to pull up the name real fast. Um, Christopher Moscato. Um, one of the things I loved was receiving that story in my inbox, which is Cloud Nine in the collection, because Christopher um, in the email after I had accepted it was like, Sunball was my first experience with solar punk. So getting to submit and then be uh-huh. published in this is like so cool. So that was like very touching for me and very cool. Um, and it's a great story. I mean, all the stories are great in this, but that was um, that was that's a really fun one. So. Oh, yeah, that's a great experience because it's because it's kind of like you're seeing like, you know, you're building these bricks and people are like kind of like, you know, wanting to contribute to the stuff that you're building. I haven't edited an anthology yet, but I just feel like it's I feel like it's one of those things I want to do at some point for some of the reasons you're talking about, like just getting to see like what these multiple talented people end up creating and bringing to bringing to your vision and kind of like enhancing and uplifting it. So, yeah. That's a- yeah, absolutely. Because like, I feel like I really try to come in really open minded to where I like I have like certain ideas that I know, like, okay, in solar punk stories, I look for this with the cyberpunk stories I'm looking for this. But at the same time, I just like want to open it up too because I never know what's going to surprise me and what's going to sort of just pop up that I had no con- idea or two stories that just immediately like, oh, there's a connection here. Like these stories need to be back to back in this anthology, things like that. Right, right. Okay, so uh, I will go off script a little bit here. Then, oh, so like with with the cyberpunk and the solar punk, like what kind of things were you like when you started the anthology and before you even approached anyone? Like, what were some of the things you were like kind of hoping would pop up, either like thematically or like concept wise or whatever? For the solar punk, I'm always looking for this mix of like stories that are a little bit in the farther future, but also stories that could be happening like five years from now. And like the stories that are happening five years from now are usually very rare to show up in the, in like the inbox. That's been my experience, at least like I kind of have to go search out for those. So whenever I like have something like that show up, I'm like super excited. And um, so that's something I'm always looking for that I don't always like see immediately. And so whenever it happens, I'm excited. But for cyberpunk, I was really concerned that there was going to be too much of a focus on like the individual because we see so much of that in the cyberpunk, the sort of, you know, noir detective figure that's going off on their own. And so I was really excited when that wasn't the case. And I had a, I had these brilliant stories that were focused in on community and being able to sort of focus in on that and let that be the driving force of a lot of the cyberpunk stories, which of course perfectly leads into what solar punk is all about. Um, so I was very excited that I, that that felt like such a natural through line. I wasn't forcing that. Ah, that's such a perfect segue into, um, like, I think what will probably be like the meat and potatoes of this episode. So, um, I want to give the disclaimer before we get into it to all of my fellow contributors to the anthology. It, we, we're, we're going to talk about me and Izzy's story, but it is in no way, any, shape or form, any slight to anyone else in the anthology. It's just a matter of like time. And the guys would never let me live it down if I didn't let them talk about my story, too. So oh, hell I had yeah. to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> we like to embarrass you. Yeah. And Izzy was a previous guest, too. So it just kind of made sense. So, yeah. So I, fellow anthology people, trust me. I love your work, too. We just... Just got to consider like time constraints and whatnot. So, okay, with that uh, disclaimer out the way. um, Okay, so with Izzy's story, Do Anarchists Dream of Collective Sheep? It kind of shares a lot in common with with my story, uh, Nano Vibration, in uh, regards to community kind of being the foundation of uh, revolution. So um, 
Was this a thing that you purposely sought out for this anthology? And if you did, or even if you didn't, why do you think it's important? Yes, I mean, it, community is always important to whatever I'm, I'm working on. So it certainly was something that I, I was hoping was going to show up. But it was really getting both of those stories where I was like, ah, now this section's starting to come together in my head. So it was like seeing both of those and having those. And they were like, and like thinking about how they were going to be placed were ones because I, those are important stories in the sense that I knew other stories would kind of fit around them. Um, so I kind of always had that in my head when I, when I got both of your stories. I was like, okay, these are sort of pillars of this section and they'll open up space for other stories to be about community and then to lead into um, the transitional stories, which would come after the cyberpunk section. Um, so, so yes, like I hoped it was kind of like, this is a best case scenario that these are the stories that I would get. But I, I mean, well, Brent, you would know from the emails and stuff, I was very open-ended. I was like, you do what you want. Like I, yeah, I will yeah. figure it out from there, you know, cause I was really trusting, you know, I was excited to work with you and Izzy. I met Izzy back in 2018 and I just followed her work for years. And so I was thrilled to get a chance to work with Izzy um, and thrilled to get a chance to work with you as well. And so it was exciting just to, to sort of just like give you that creative play. And then I would get to, put the puzzle pieces together on the other side. Yeah. So I will tell you when I first got that table of contents and saw my story first, I freaked out. Like I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was texting the guys and I was like, I was like, Oh my God. Like I'm first. I was like, this is so much pressure. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh, like the first story is like in the anthology. I feel like it's like, that's like key placement. Cause that's going to be the thing that like for a lot of people either like, sells them on it or makes them put it back and so um yeah they can tell you i freaked out i was like oh my god like what i was like uh, i was like I, I trust phoebe but at the same time like i'm also like i, I don't i don't know if this is right like, <laughs> no so like i was i was one of the reasons i did that because yeah you're right i put a whole bunch of pressure on your one story <laughs> but but i was really i think I think for exact the exact reason that you said, like if if someone didn't like that story and felt really like turned off by it or it just wasn't for them, they weren't the right audience, then probably the rest of the stories weren't going to be a good fit either. And I particularly loved how you were pushing the envelope envelope with like the idea of rave music, with how you know with drug culture and like how you were playing around with that. I was like, this is important. You know, it's important that we ha be having this conversation in stories, particularly I think for cyberpunk stories. And so I felt that having you first with with how your story ended up being like the focus as well as the community community orientation i was like this is like this is the audience that i'm looking for like if someone likes this story they're going to like other stories yeah yeah well i i i, um, I people can't see me but i'm smiling really hard cuz <laughs> that means a lot to me so uh marshall i saw you had your head up so i'll let you yeah no i mean and i think you're right um it does. I mean, and I haven't gotten to read all the stories in this anthology yet, but I think going first, Brent, I, I hear you. I, I know that it's a tone setting kind of thing as well, you know, and it's like, okay. And, and like Phoebe said, if people can't vibe with this, they may not vibe with the rest, but I've heard you talk about this before. Like, and I'm waiting for it. Like I'm, I'm reading the story to, you know, and I'm like, okay, he did say something about raves. He said something about drugs and stuff. So how's he going to do this? And when it started to come together, I was like, oh, this is insanely cool. So um, I love the community aspect, but can you just talk about, and I'm turning the interview to you a little bit. Can you just oh, talk yeah, about um, the kind of, not so much the inspiration behind the story, because, um, but at the same time, like why you wanted to focus on this as a source of, of revolution, you know, partying and the drug scene and kind of thing. So, Okay, so it kind of ties into like when um, when Phoebe first reached out to me and was like, I want you to be a part of this. I kind of felt like, and this kind of just speaks to her reputation. I'm like, I have to step it up a little bit. Like I need this story to be, I need this story to say something because I feel like with some vote and, you know, and solo, just solo punk in general, it's like the, we're in a really pivotal moment as a species. Like, we we gotta we gotta figure some shit out or we we may not be around for long. And so I kind of felt like if I'm gonna be part of an anthology like this, I want to say something that feels true to me and but so at the same time also is kind of like speaking to that larger message of like we need to come together and, and figure some shit out. And so for me, I guess in like the past I maybe I'd say maybe two, three years almost, I kind of like 
I kind of fell into a, a rave culture a little bit. And um, and the thing that like made me fall in love with it had zero. Well, not, I ain't going to say zero, but not as much to do with the music as it was with the spirit of the people there. Like the I, I, I go there and, you know, I go to these parties, I go to these raves, I go to these things. And and I'm not saying it's a perfect community, but nine times like. Nine times out of ten, it feels like I go there and everyone's smiling, everyone's hugging each other. You see so much love. You see people who are like, you see people who aren't ashamed of their bodies. Like you see people who like, because they know they're not going to get judged. You see like queer people just being openly queer and they don't care to be right next to some some dude who looks like he walked right out of like a Hollister ad, you know, and (laughs) that that guy won't care. It's like, it's just like this idea of like, you just come as you are and you're, you're, you're accepted as you are. And the only, the only real rule is, is like, don't be a jerk. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I kind of saw that and obviously like, you know, no one's stupid. Part of raves is the drug culture too. That comes, that's a part of it. And even before I was in that scene, I always had this idea that like, I just fundamentally hated this idea of like how we frame drugs as bad and people that do them as bad. And, you know, people who are addicted to them as like less than. And, you know, I I always hated that even before I got into the scene. But once I got into the scene, I really saw that. I'm like, I'll, look, I'll be honest with y'all. Um, the group of people I see who pound the most drugs back and party the hardest are doctors and nurses. And without a <laughs> doubt. And I mean, I was just at a rave a couple of weeks, last weekend actually, and that we met a group of nurses. And these women party harder than anyone else they they were drinking everybody under the table and so it's like (laughs) these people that in their day jobs would hopefully be respected you know they come out and they just cut loose and they have a great time and and they're no less a nurse they're no less a doctor they're no less a you know a professional for the fact that they do drugs or they drink so i i've always it just kind of solidified for me that idea of like okay let's stop let's let's change our conversation about drug use and how like how that plays into like our moral judgments of people and then it kind of i was kind of thinking too i'm like well what if drugs were like a delivery system for like you know information i wanted to make it something cool That's like i was cool. like gotta be cyberpunky right and part of the reason i thought like well these kind of people would be the best people to do that stuff is because they're disregarded they're 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 looked down on you know like no one like no one looks at a crowd. Well, I can say no one, but certain people won't look at a crowd of ravers and go, "Oh yeah, these look like some um, well-educated, uh, you know, responsible adults here." They're not thinking that, you know. So, so yeah. So that was kind of my like whole impetus. All of that kind of like rolled together into like, okay, well, let me tell the story and let me actually show the side of this community that I see because in most media I see it, it's like this is some deep, stark, scary shit. And this is where all the drug dealers come. And this is where the heroes come when they want to like whoop some ass and find the villain. Like I didn't realize how much it mattered to me until I saw the latest Batman movie. And it just pissed me off that one scene in the techno club. I'm like, you've never actually been to a real techno club. Have you like that scene was just so it was. And yeah, so I was just like, I honestly that that movie probably like this rebuking that scene probably was a big part of this story too so yeah i hope that answered your question marshall i kind of went on for a while no there. no and actually i have a quick little follow-up to that because i think what you're saying is spot on but like you also have that moment with han or han or however you say it in the book oh yeah han yeah yeah with, han, with, yeah han with the um the full-on you know how the characters react with an addict and how um so what was your i, I think I think the the story would have worked just fine, I think, without that character. But having that moment, um, can you explain why you decided to include that? Yes, um, because, I mean, yeah, y'all guys know I, I, I had an ex who was an addict. Um, I've had friends who are addicts. Uh, I also we also see people on the scene who we know probably need to slow down, probably need to, like, you know, reevaluate, probably need to... You, that, that, and we see people who are on that road and we try to like do our best to steer them from it. And me and my friends, we've even, we've all had the conversation with each other where we're like, Hey, if, if we, if any of us ever see each other slipping, 
we need to pull each other back. Yeah. And um, but I guess why I felt the need to include that was just because, you know, so many so many people that no one's becoming an addict because they think it's fun. You know, no one no one yeah. goes down yeah. that path because they're like, oh, yeah, this this looks like a great time. Let me just let me just ruin everything that I have around me in for this one substance, you know, and it, um, and I just kind of wanted to to, I guess, maybe show a, a better way of looking at people who who suffer with addiction. And, you know, maybe maybe it's like, you know, like I said in the story, maybe it's not a perfect solution, but you can be compassionate. You can you can try your best to be compassionate. You can try your best to to um, see their humanity first and, you know, and, and go from there and and. Because and, and also too, and the reason I did that, I also it kind of just makes me think of like bigger conversation about like how whenever someone shows compassion for a person, well, why don't you take them into your house? Or well, if you if you if you care about them so much, why don't you? And 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 you know, and I so all of those kind of conversations were in my head when I wrote that scene. I wanted to hopefully show what felt like a, a real moment, and yeah. and I. I was afraid as I was writing it that like I might have been chastising the uh, people too much. So I, I don't know if I succeeded, but I wanted to try to make it like a real moment where like it didn't feel like I was being too preachy. So I don't know. No, I think the I balance think too- is there. Sorry, go ahead, Phoebe. No, no, just to, one of the things I loved about about the story was was I think it does bring that nuance. And it's important, I think, when we're thinking about punk subgenres, that there is that the punk side of things, right? That there is that, you know, sort of joyful nihilism, but also that punk is caring for other people and caring for your community. And I think that just comes through, both sides of that come through um, so clearly in this story. Plus there's the music element, which yeah. I think was just so fun to see in like a cyberpunk story for me. Yeah. And, well, and to kind of like, I guess, to provide some real life context for that particular um, section, too. Um, so there's a party organizer here in San Diego. When he does his underground parties in these different like locations, a lot of times it's homeless people who help him find the location. And so what he does is that he gives them a percentage of the profits. Like, you know, you help me find it. You get a percentage of the profits. Oh, and good. yeah, yeah. And so yeah. and so that's one of those things where it's like you're showing us where we can go and party and like, you know, but at the same time, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of as best as I can mm-hmm. take care of. He can't give the guy a home. He can't, you know, fix whatever that situation is, but at least he can do that. And, and, and that's kind of what I drew on to when I created that little snippet. That's awesome. Nick. Okay. So I have questions for Phoebe. Brent, I can okay. talk about your stories all day long. Um, but Phoebe, I, I'm really curious with Brent headlining being the first story here, that sets a strong precedence for what the theme's gonna be for the rest of the series. How did you go about because I'm very curious in like structuring an anthology and like doing one myself one day, right? How did you go about selecting stories and deciding the order in which you wanted to to lay them out? Is there like a heavy hitter on the back end that we don't know about yet that we should know about? Yeah, I think I love like doing the structure is one of my favorite parts for sure. Like just like playing around with the order and seeing how things are, how sort, how themes are going to sort of bounce between stories. So yeah, I definitely love that part. And I think, yeah, I actually really followed what we did with Sunvault, um, what my co-editor I did for that one when I went solo on this book, which I put us like a, a quieter story as the last story. But I think it's also a very like, strong story like it's not ending on on this like sort of heavy-handed note like climactic note but um the holiness of light by cynthia zhang is just a really lovely story but it's very quiet um but it's also one of the stories like i said earlier that feels like it could be happening five years from now or ten years from now and so to sort of end the collection on that story felt important to me because i wanted to keep things very present in that final moment but also just to sort of end on this this smaller community driven story set in California. Um, and that was involving wildfires. I lived in Reno, Nevada, um, before I moved to Pennsylvania where I am now. And so the wildfire situation was something totally new to me as being someone from more of the East coast side of the U S and, um, and it made climate change feel so present in a way that I was not used to. And so, so yeah, I think thinking about balance, like, 
Brent's story is very loud in a different way. And this story is very quiet, but it's, they're both thinking about community resilience and how people come together. Um, they both have these like great punk aspects to them. Um, but ultimately sort of end on this sort of hopeful community aspect. And so that was kind of how I bookended everything. But in between, there's sort of these stories that end up just being like these heavy hitters. Like Izzy's story was another one in terms of how I think about pillars. Like, I guess that's kind of how I think about it in my head. It's like, okay, this is a major note I want to hit. Here's another major note I want to hit. And then in between are these stories that help build like these moments and help establish the themes even more. Um, and so Izzy and Brent's was one that I was like, those were two in the cyberpunk section, mainly because they're hitting on my favorite sort of punk aspects, particularly with cyberpunk. And the title of Izzy's was great. Like I could not have, when I saw the title, I was like, yes, <laughs> this is amazing. It was um, so cool. I, and I was like so bold of her to be like, to take such a classic title and be like, I'm going to make it my own. And just, yeah, that story, like what it did with, um, I actually found it very, I actually found that story very profound because um, I really thought it was going downhill. I really was like, oh, these people are going to rip each other apart by the end of it. (laughs) And the fact that like, despite their own memories being tinkered with, they still were able to come back to what, you know what? We're still going to ride together and we're still going to fuck shit up and we're still going to fight. Like we're still going to fight the power. And I thought that that was like, when I got to the end of it, I just kind of like sighed a little. I was like, wow, like that was really, really well done. Yeah. And I loved, I loved how it played with form and how it thought about like how it thought about like personalities within community. Yeah. That was one that I gave me room to move. Like once I had that story, I was like, okay, now I've gotten some of the themes out of the way that I, that I'm really adamant I must have in this section. And then I got to feel like I could play around a little bit more. Um, so yeah, right. that was, that was exciting. All right, Nick, I see you. So I just want to note to see if anyone else caught this, or maybe it's me overthinking. I don't know. Izzy's story is written like a programming code. (laughs) So I caught that and I was like, oh, this is genius because you can tell each stanza builds on itself. And when there's an error, there's an error. Like it's visibly displayed and stuff like that through conflict. And I was, it's a very, very smart technique. And I love that. So smart, like I, uh, it, yeah, that 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 the way that like Izzy was able to, I, I, it felt almost like, and I'm and I mean this as like a super huge compliment. It felt like that um, one of those Ghost in the Shell intros, like when that old anime uh, yeah. used to come yeah. on. Yeah, like it. I felt like I was like I, I could just see it, and it was so. And and the crazy part is, it was so visual without much visuals like there wasn't really like huge descriptions of these uh these anarchists but like they still were like very vivid in my head so yeah izzy really 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 did a great job with that well nick i'm glad you brought up about the code because that was something that i mean i think I think you, how can you can't have a cyber a cyberpunk Porsche of anthology without having some of those aspects and so like Izzy's story came up and I was like okay good check got got at least one that's really <laughs> heavy handed on that but then I also love Tomorrow Is Another Day by Lewis Evans um, for that very reason because having them back to back I feel like people are already primed with Izzy's story to then go into that one which also has like heavy coding emphasis I don't know if anyone got to that story. I actually am on that one now, so it's funny you say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because like I, I, um, I follow Lewis, and we've had a couple of conversations online. So I was like, oh yeah, I definitely want to like check out, check out his. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so it was fun to have those and be able to be like put them back to back and let that theme sort of keep growing. So that was that was one of those because Lewis um, came in through the inbox, just like um, came in. and I started reading the story, and I was like, oh, here we go. This is great. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, and that, oh, so that kind of makes me think of a question too. So when you, um, when you think about like, so listening writers before you take in the uh, input, so like what kind of, for you at least, what kind of goes into like the uh, solicitation of a writer? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's a couple, it's a couple different things. Like first and foremost, it's like usually people who, who I'm like really excited to work with, like people that I'm like, this would be very cool to just get a chance to talk with them. And also um, I kind of usually have tiers, right? Where, you know, you obviously want someone who's going to be a little bit bigger of a name. Um, And so that ended up being Corey Doctorow for us. And um, which we're, I was super excited to have a piece uh, reprint from him. 
Um, but then it's also like people that I want to work with. And then also I try and find people who are a little bit earlier in their career or maybe haven't published a lot recently because I just think like a solicitation is just like, it just feels really great to have that particularly earlier in a career or if you've had been on pause or just haven't had something come out in a bit. So I try to like run the gamut a little bit because I think it is like really powerful to get to solicit people who are early in their career but and then have them in the table of contents next to someone that is more established. And that's just a, re- a really exciting thing to get to do and something I'm always feel like very happy to do as an editor. Um, and it's just fun then to see like the different types of creativity that end up being sandwiched together. Um, so that's some of the things that I think about, but like, honestly, a lot of it is driven by like, who do I want to kind of work with right now? Like who would be cool? Who do I think is available? You know, you always end up soliciting probably twice as many people as end up there because, you know, people aren't available or someone just, you know, just had a solicitation go out and they can't do this one. Um, so that's kind of that's why it's usually like, who do I want to work with? You know, and full, well, knowing full well that, you know, we'll see how the list gets winnowed down. That that, that makes me feel even more uh, good about it, because yeah, when I got it, I was like. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, I'm getting solicited. Like, wow, that's cool. Like, yeah, no, nah, I, I was, I was stoked. Um, and, and I don't think the feeling ever goes away because, like, I, the anthology I just got solicited for, can't talk about it yet, but soon. Um, I, I was, I, I felt the same way. I was like, oh, me? Like, really? You want me? But, uh, yeah, no, that's, I, I, I appreciate though that, um, there is like some thoughtfulness behind it too, not just in terms, because I, I mean, we're not going to say names, but there's definitely editors out there who I feel like they only ever approach these same people over and over and over. You're in such a powerful position to give someone else a boost. Like, that's why I'm always interested in like, like, and that's something I was thoughtful of with, with the solar punk section of this anthology is as much as I loved with some of the people I got to work with um, on Sunvault and wrote like the more highly regarded pieces that ended up being in that anthology. Um, I was like, I just really want to bring new people in. Like solar punk, I think really benefits from having fresh voices. And so I really wanted to just bring in new people, get a chance to work with new people and go from there. So yeah, I think, I think that's really, yeah, I just think that's important. You, every editor should use their ability wisely when it comes to that. They, you know, it's a powerful <laughs> position to boost someone's career. Yeah. 10,000% agree. Well, I saw Will, you got uh, want to hop in? Sure. So Phoebe, I have a question for you. When you're editing and like you're soliciting people to create a story, like they haven't sent it to you yet and you get it, are there times when you're like, when you're reading it and going through the editing process that you're like, the idea is here. It's a part of the anthology. Then how do you go back and say, but it's not quite there yet. So how do you have that conversation with the writer, like about that? So it fits your vision of the anthology. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of cheat on this one by saying that I've been super lucky. I haven't really had that happen yet. Not to like a really, a really like major degree where I felt like I had to like ask for a serious rewrite. So, so I don't, that's one of those bridges that I'm like nervous for when it happens because I just feel like it's a really hard position to be in. You know, people, they've already, you know, a writer's already invested a lot of time in this story. You like, as an editor, I don't know how many revisions they've already gone through or if they haven't gone through a lot of revisions and they're like looking for that feedback. And so I haven't had to deal with that too much, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and sometimes it's normally it's tweaks. Like I'll ask for like, you know, like, well, what if you like push this scene a little bit farther? Like, Brent, I think I like that was one of the like little pieces I did for you is I was like, well, this scene here, I think what if we push this a little farther and see what happens? Um, and that's really all I've had to do. So I'm very grateful for that, that I've just had these stories come into a place where I'm really excited about them. Um, but also like slightly, like every time I'm holding my breath, I'm like, what if this is the story that I'm going to, you know, where we're going to have to sit down and be like, Hey, like, I think we need to do some, some heavier edits on this story. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I know that's not a great answer, Will, for a good question, but that's what I got. (laughs) No, that works. I mean, you know, that's great that you didn't really have to do that yet. So that's good. Yeah, that I mean, just listen, just listening to him ask a question made me nervous. I'm like, I'm not even in this situation. Oh my god, I'm like, right? Like, I wouldn't even know what I would do. I guess I don't know. Actually, that's 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 a that would be a really tough position to be in. I think. I think the difference is is if you're asking for asking people to submit yeah. a story, you know, as opposed to just opening up to anybody that sends one in. Like, you can send a rejection, right, and say like, oh, this is not going to fit. But it's another thing to ask a bunch of authors to do a thing and then being like, oh, this isn't 
how do I talk to this person? You know, and I'm sorry. I yeah. cut you off, Phoebe. Well, and let, let's credit you too, Phoebe. Like you're clearly having clear communication on what you want and what you're looking for too. Like that's, that's what speaks more to me. If you're not having a huge rewrite issue with authors, like it just feels like you have clear and concise communication with what you want, and what you're looking for. I think it helps too that solar punk is is so specific and cyberpunk so specific too that if someone's sitting down to like write in that in that in either of those subgenres there there's certain like expectations right and the people that I do like solicit I'm like okay they're either familiar with solar punk or cyberpunk or I'm like confident in their ability like like Brent like I, I knew you hadn't really written in either subgenre but I was like but I was like what you write about, I felt very confident that whichever you chose to do, I was like, Brent can do a good job with this. And same with Izzy. I don't, I'd seen more punk work from Izzy, but I don't think I'd seen anything. No, Izzy had done some cyberpunk for sure. Um, so I knew like, I knew a little bit there. So it's, I was thinking of like, will these writers be a good fit for these subgenres, and are they going to have the level of familiarity or be willing to just like jump in and try something? And so that's part of it too, I think. Good. Well, So was it hard to get someone like Cory Doctorow or like a name so you can like anchor the anthology? Like, what was that like? Yeah. So there was a short list that I had um, of people. And uh, every time I sit out to do a solar punk anthology, I'm always like, maybe this is the one, maybe this is the one Cory Doctorow will will take an interest in. (laughs) Um, And it turned out this was the one that Cory Doctorow was interested in. Because of course, um, Walk Away is one of those novels that a lot of people We'll bring up in conversation about solar punk, even though it's def- it's not labeled as solar punk. Um, and so I knew he had the the and I knew he had most likely heard of the subgenre and maybe even played around with it. And then his story is definitely it feels very solar punk, even if he didn't necessarily sit down to write it that way exclusively. Um, so I think we were just lucky in that. But yeah, it's um there's just also just authors that are larger names that would be interested in working with like, um, Nalo Hopkinson. We, I've asked her every, every anthology I end up asking her, you know? Um, and so that's just another one. Um, so yeah, just a couple of different names that you always hope for. And sometimes the publisher has connections. Um, uh, I know, um, Android press had a line on, I think NK Jemison's people like on the, on NK Jemison's agent. And so of course you just like, you just ask and you just, you just, you just hope maybe something will happen, but of course not, you know, because NK Jemison <laughs> is busy, you know, but, um, so that's part of it too, is you just start tossing those lines out and see what happens. Yeah. Well, I can say for my part, I, to Nick's point, I, I felt very clear on like what I was like, kind of the parameters I had to operate in. And, uh, yeah. So I did feel like, okay, I know I, and then for me too, I already, I mean, these, some people have heard me rant about this. I'm like raving in cyberpunk already. I can already like, this is like easy, easy shoe in. So yeah. So, uh, I, I, I definitely felt like it was easy to kind of like write the story. I guess I didn't feel like I didn't know what direction to go in. Perfect. That's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I have lots of questions Phoebe, for you. Um, <laughs> Please. so I want to talk about like, the numbers of an anthology, right? Like you have all these amazing uh, writers to your anthology. Like what is the process of then marketing it and then making sure, or like making sure as much as you can that it does well and support like things like that. Like does that go through your head when you're like putting an anthology together and how do you go about it? Yeah. And like, I feel like I was so lucky with, Sunvolve that my co-editor and I like we ended up at a press that um like Joanne Miriam and Upper Rubber Boot Books had had some anthologies with like really big names and so she was really familiar with how to give it the best start it could and so she did a lot of that on her end and then you know one day I go to Goodreads and it's got like over 300 ratings and I'm like when did this happen like what what even it wasn't me how did this happen and so I think now I like you know, I do work like this. Um, I think about names that are sort of in the sort of zeitgeist, like one person who once again showed up in the, uh, in the inbox was Ai Zhang. And that was right when everything was just so exploding in her career. And so I immediately like jumped on that story and was like, this is someone that I think we need to have in the anthology. And so that was one of the first contracts I actually sent out just because I already, she had sent something else into the inbox and it got pulled 
because someone else wanted it. And so the second story came in, I was like, all right, this one. So some of it's thinking about who, you know, who's turning in quality work that is also sort of like in the moment, you know, and hope that that boosts sales so that way everyone can have their story enjoyed. Um, and then it's honestly just, you know, I think it comes down to, I think it comes down to vision as well. And like trying to have this idea that's going to stick in people's heads. Cyberpunk has always kind of stuck around, you know? And so I think tagging solar punk with cyberpunk for the third anthology, hopefully helps that stick around. So everyone can kind of have their stories further enjoyed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's really comes down to like doing what I can in terms of just doing promotion, finding those people whose names who want to be involved in the anthology and then just kind of hoping that things work out, um, you know, cause you can never, you can never really know how it's going to, how things are going to turn, who's going to take an interest in it. If there's a major review that comes out. Um, and so some of it's just comes up to chance and I'm also finding the longer I do the writing stuff that I feel like I'm really bad at the marketing stuff. I don't know how you all feel about all of those things, but it is just so hard. And so I'm always just trying things and seeing what sticks. Go ahead, Brian. I hate marketing with a passion. It's so terrible. It's 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 the worst. Like it, it because the thing about marketing, I mean, I do it for my day job, sort of. Um, and the thing that like all of us know is that like there are no answers in marketing. No one actually knows what works and what doesn't. You're just you're 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 really for the most part just throwing a lot of shit at the wall and hoping some of it actually sticks. But yeah, so no, that was my rant about marketing. Well, that I, makes me I, feel I better. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nick. So, follow up question to uh, a couple things here. I'm curious to know, as a new writer who may not have anything published, how do they get on someone's radar for an anthology? What are the best ways to do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, I think some of it. It's definitely. And this, I think, might be a little close to where I sit also as an editor. Like, I'm interested in people um, who are, like, sort of good community members for science fiction and fantasy. And, like, but I think that's, like, very much, like, me as an editor and also, like, the type of work that I'm trying to create. Um, so I'm not sure if this is great advice overall. But, yeah, for <laughs> but for me, it's definitely, like, I when I see someone who's being, like, a really good community member, who's engaged, who's uplifting other voices, like, even if they haven't had a lot of work published, then I feel very confident, like, like moving forward if they were to, you know, if I decided to solicit them as someone to, like, try and, like, bring, like, you know, give them that sort of moment and, like, you know, get them a paid story. Um, because I feel confident that they're going to be willing to work with me and that they'll also work with the other people in the table of contents, whether that's, you know, doing, you know, helping out with the Kickstarter um, or just, you know, posting stuff on whatever we decide to ultimately go after Twitter um, moments like that. I feel like this person's going to invest time in this, um, which is great. You know, it's something you hope from everyone that everyone's at least willing to post, you know, a picture holding the book um, and things like that. So I think for me, that's like definitely where I sit is that someone who's a good community member that makes me excited and want to work with them um, and have that moment with them. So I love that answer. Before we get out of here, I definitely want to give uh, Phoebe a chance to talk about um, her novella from Android Press. So it's called When We Hold Each Other Up. So if you want, uh, tell us a little bit about it. And, you know, do you think at all that um, writing this novella kind of informed how you edited the anthology at all? Yeah, thank you so much. I, I love my little novella so much. Um, so When We Hold Each Other Up is about... Uh, is, is set about 200 years-ish in the future. Um, it's sort of this solar punk-ish, climate fiction-ish um, piece of work. And it's about Rowan, who is a teenager um, um, in the in the novella. And Rowan is uh, really wants to be a storyteller. And Rowan is sort of living this nomadic life because that's the life that Rowan thinks is the most sort of like sustainable for what Rowan wants to do with um, their with career and things like that. And as part of this, Rowan realizes that the city that is kind of near um, their found family is expanding and um, that the city has sort of this negative aspect to it. And Rowan goes on to warn other people in the area about this expanding city, um, which is not a great summary of the novella, but I've, I always have struggled to summarize this. Um, I think the fun thing, though, is that as part of this, the characters, the people that Rowan end up traveling with, they um, end up meeting 
three other communities throughout the book. And each one was sort of my idea of different solar punk variations on how people could live sort of in just relationship with the rest of the living world. So there's like these people that live on the river um, and sort of like have this like nomadic lifestyle, but they're very connected to water and to moving through the water and cleaning up the water as they go. Um, there's a group called the archivists that are very, um, very traditional solar punk. Like they have like the dome city and the solar panels and all those kind of things. <laughs> um, and they are very adamant about like networking knowledge and making knowledge totally accessible to everyone. Um, and that's their, their sort of thing. And then there's this place called open gates, which is an industrial prison complex that was then taken over and is now this sort of uh, sustainable city. Then they're trying to work through the generational trauma with the land as well as the people. And those are the multiple communities that kind of get explored throughout the book. So that's my, that's my little novella that I, that I love from Android press. Um, and yeah, I totally impact or, or will, did you, did you have a question? I will, I will stop there. <laughs> oh, I can, I can wait until you want to finish your thought. No, because I was going to talk about the anthology. So, no, let's talk about your novella. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so that is so amazing that you thought about these three different communities. Like it's very nuanced. So my question is, how did you do that in a novella? It seems like a lot of juggling. Were you planning on it to be like a novel at first? Or were you always like kind of dead set, like, no, I can do this in a novella? Because to me, that is talent right there. Yeah, you know, I I didn't think when I kind of came up with the idea originally, I felt that it was going to be, I was like, there's too, there's not enough for a, a novel. And and then I started writing and I was like, that, that was a lie. There's definitely, there was enough for a novel. Um, <laughs> it was something that came down to time, like just where I was with the day job as a, as I was finishing my PhD and I was a tenure track um, professor and it was just, I knew I couldn't dive into a novel. Like a novella just has a different mindset for me. Um, and so there was part of that. But um, with coming up with the ideas, I really wanted to play with the old writing advice that and there are two types of stories, right? A stranger comes to town or someone goes on a journey. And I wanted to try and like combine them. So that was part of it as part of this journey where they're going and they're they're going on this quest, right? But at the same time, they keep being the stranger that comes to town. And so that was like sort of how I worked through the different communities was I had this like story structure I wanted to play around with and just like kind of have fun with. When you think of the future and you're imagining something 200 years in the future, are you trying, because we're talking a lot, I feel like in science fiction and fantasy about like late stage capitalism and getting over that. So are you trying to envision like a better way to do things so that it starts discussion or are you working things out at the same time of like what the possibilities are? Like, where does this come from? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely trying to imagine these better worlds like this, like so many of the communities that get visited um, throughout the book are like very queer normative, it's queer normative world building, it's anti-capitalist, like these communities are, are for the most part not using capital. And there's like, there's a lot of, there's more a section where I talk more about capitalism, but that's in a, in a different part of the book. But generally these are communities that have moved away from that very purposefully. And this is kind of several generations after that shift. And it's like, how does, how does these communities start to function then? Like, what does it look like when the people that are living here don't remember that? Um, like, and that's not part of their day-to-day -day life. And that was a fun part actually with writing the main character Rowan is there were certain words I went back and like word search, make sure I hadn't used like spent, like just like casually saying like, oh, they, you know, they spent the day doing X, Y, and Z, just like trying to remove those words that have that more capitalist language influence. Um, so yeah, so trying to, to push back on that, like, what does it look like a few generations after we've switched into a more sustainable and just and socially just world? So I'm fascinated with this, the way that you just described it. Do you feel like it was hard to rewire your brain to not use like capitalist terms? 
Oh yeah, definitely. And I'm sure someone's going to read this book and be like, wow, like she didn't do a very good job. But there's definitely <laughs> moments where <laughs> there's definitely like certain words that I knew because I, I try to edit them out of my, of my regular language um, and like try to change how I think about it. And so there's, there's certain words I need to go look for. And that's something that I, I want to get better at as I keep imagining these different futures is, is more fully separating those characters from the worldview, right? Because that's the great struggle of writing from where we are now while trying to imagine this better future is, is like, how do we do that? Like our, my mindset is fully influenced by colonialism, capitalism, white supremacy. So like, how do I, how do I like rip that apart and then be able to write something um, that's forward looking in a way that's useful and helpful. Um, And like, that's something that I love wrestling with every time I sit down to write these types of stories. That's amazing. I could ask you more questions, Stevie, but I'm going to stop because I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more if you want. But I want to kick it back to Brent to make sure we've covered everything too. So where yeah, are we yeah. at? We Jen? have we have definitely covered everything and more. And like, this has been really fun. I knew I, I warned Phoebe in advance we would go off on tangents, so it, it's totally oh, fine. We always That's do. great. I was ready. I knew. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for for hanging out with us. I know because of the tech problems, we've kept you over time a little bit. Uh, but I just want to give you a second. We have one more question that I'm going to have Brent ask. I just decided that Brent's going to ask it. Um, but before we get to that last question, um, where can people find you? Um, social media wise, website, stuff like that. Um, Android Press, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm at Phoebe um, hyphen wagner.com. And that'd be a great, probably the best place to get my social media too, because with poor marketing, I did not claim my <laughs> social media handle at every place. Um, so I usually have some variation of Phoebes, um, on, on different places. Probably I'm most active on TikTok right now, um, where I'm at prof Phoebes. Um, so, but you can find all that on my website and Android press. Um, you can find them online at every major social media place. And you can also, that's where you can buy books and things like that. Um, Fighting for the Future is available through Android Press's website, as well as being able to be ordered through any bookstore, um, anything like that. So hopefully you all will be inspired to check out Fighting for the Future and Brent's story first in the table of contents. Oh, I can't wait for it to show up in my mailbox, um, even though I kind of have a digital copy currently. Uh, But uh, again, thank you for being here. I'm going to throw it to Brent here in just a second, but we'll put all those links and everything in the show notes as well for people to buy the book and, and follow you. So Brent, I'm throwing it to you. Last question, buddy. Okay. So last question. We always ask everybody this, um, as you are also a writer along slash editor, um, this is going to be appropriate. So, uh, what keeps you writing? What keeps me writing is that as much as I work with a sort of positive forward thinking genre like solar punk, like I am definitely scared a lot of the times by like the news, what's going on with climate change, politics. And so what keeps me writing is I force myself to imagine these better futures. And that's one of the things that makes me feel good as a person. And then sometimes I'm lucky enough to share that with the rest of the world. So keeps me writing is just imagining better futures and hoping they come to fruition someday. And thank you so much. I love the podcast. So this was a blast. Uh, thank you. That means a lot. Uh, we thanks for coming. It. We had a blast. <laughs> and this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias. And please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.